Jordan Poyer will be showing his face at Mandatory Minicamp. We'll be talking some more player grades for the Buffalo Sabres. And also coming at you with some Blue Jays to spice it up a little bit. Along with some hot takes trivia and more. This is the Buffalonian Podcast. Alright, let's go. We are back with the Buffalonian Podcast. I'm Joe Kelly, and as always, I'm joined by Dom Loss and Mike Marino. And this just in, Jordan Poyer will be at the Bills minicamp, showing his face after all of the questions. Dom, what do you think? We have some answers. We have some answers. As McDermott said, everyone is there. Everyone is at mandatory minicamp. After he skipped the first uh, three weeks of OTAs, Poyer is officially with the Buffalo Bills. And an Adam Schefter report said that they're in talks with Poyer's agents, I guess, trying to solidify something. Yeah, I thought this when the news came out that there has to be some progress made on long-term. Yeah, otherwise I feel like here. he would. Because this is your main bargaining chip to have, you know, skipping a mandatory uh, camp, you know, like this. Um, Terry McCullen, wide receiver for the football of all the commanders now, he, he's skipping this mandatory minicamp to try and get a long-term extension. Isn't Baker Mayfield also skipping the Browns? He got exemption. Plus, Baker's been linked with Carolina's. Minicamp comes closer, you know, maybe he gets dealt there. I, it's, It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. I Sam think Darnold takes his spot as he always should have been as a backup. Sam Darnold, poor guy. I remember he was so highly touted. Yeah, they are like, why wouldn't you pick draft? Sam Darnold like instead of Josh Allen? Yeah. Now. Look at Baker. He was a turnover-prone quarterback at USC, and he's a turnover-prone quarterback at the NFL level, Seen too. Ghosts. So. <laughs> uh, Real-life quote, Monday football against the Pats. But I think it's interesting to see what happens if this poor situation. Obviously, there's progress that's been made on the long-term extension, but what happens also if that progress you know, halts? Is he going to you know, leave now? I, I think this shows where his motives are at, though, that he wants to win a Super Bowl. He wants to be a part of this organization. I think he cares more about winning and being a part of the organization than the long-term extension at, at this moment in time. Speaking of, you know, wanting to be a part of an organization and such, Von Miller seems to really want to be a part of it. He's, he's making quite an impact in his first week at, the, well, the OTAs in general and the minicamp. Yeah, Von Miller's been a good veteran presence. Obviously, everyone knows his greatness on the football field. You know, eight-time Pro Bowler, two-time Super Bowl champ. Super Bowl MVP, has 115 career sacks, but I think his greatest asset to the team, as we are seeing, is off the field with these young defensive linemen in the room with Boogie Basham, A.J. Epinesa, and, and Groot, Greg Rousseau. Mm-hmm. I, I think, think Josh Allen even made a comment on that. Well, I think Deion, Deion Dawkins made a comment in, I think they had a mini camp before OTAs or a little two-day camp, and you know, even in that, he never took a playoff, Deion said. He went full-blown power. 100%. I think that's a great veteran presence to have. Obviously, he had his pass rushing academy uh, last weekend, and all three of those young guys, as I mentioned, went. You know, it's kind of similar to Dawson Knox from a year ago, who went to Titan Academy with George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, and Greg Olson. You saw what happened to him with his breakout season. So, you know, the Bills are really banking on Von Miller's off-the-field presence, providing an opportunity for these young DNs to you know, break out and have a big impact for this defense. I'd be comfortable betting on it, though, 100%. Yeah, no, I mean, it just it just speaks to the culture of what Bills have right now. And I know this might be just a little kind of off-topic, but former Bills defensive tackle Harrison Phillips came back to Buffalo to continue his camp with all the disabled kids. Like, his foundation. Back. Yeah, he came back to do that. Like, that just shows that he's now in Minnesota, yet... He still Kissed wanted to come back for this community. Like that just shows how it's a shame to see him go. Honestly, because yeah, that's a, a good guy like that. Yeah, our, our culture is just—it's just changed so much. Because it seems like years ago, early 2010s, it's just no one wanted to be here. Like <laughs> they're just such a mediocre team. Well, we had Kyle Orton as our quarterback for half of a season. Remember that? Yeah. So, so. Yeah, they went nine and seven that year. Okay. Yeah, yeah only because of him, and he had lasers in his eyes in Detroit. Remember that? I, I just think it shows what how much. This team and organization has grown in the McBean era from 2017 on. To have guys like Von Miller, who is a Hall of Fame player, for him to leave L.A., that the good weather of L.A. to come to Plus Buffalo. Plus, he really wanted to be in L.A. too. Mm-hmm. Or Dal- or to you know spurn his hometown team in Dallas. Like, 
I he think, said when he was getting drafted, though, he was hoping the Bills took him initially. Yeah, well, then we picked Mar- Well, the Denver picked him a spot in front of us, but mm-hmm. uh, and then we had Marcel Darius, and that Oof. he was all right. But highest paid defenseman we've had on contract before him, quoting trivia last week. W- one Ooh. year wonder, Marcel Darius. I just, I just think it's great to see. I think, you know, when we first signed him, it's kind of an insane player to sign just because of his resume and you know his impact. Hopefully, going to be on the field, but. I think now, looking big picture, you see the impact he's having off the field, and it's it's hard to see because you know really the only media is there are players or coaches, but to see little snippets of like the social media teams have Vaughn, you know he's he seems like a pretty good guy, and if the Bills add him in the organization, you know they must be comfortable with him in the locker room. They needed a closer. We've been talking about this for the longest time that they needed a true number one edge rusher to finally go win the Super Bowl. You know, as we've been saying about the Sabres checklist, the Bills checklist, and it's it's the same question of when everyone asks what player from the past would you want to be on this current team, everyone says Bruce Smith because, you know, you needed that number one guy and hopefully Von Miller can be that. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the social media team. How do we feel about the social media content they pump out? I think we just look at the the schedule announcement video. I think that says it all right there. We've got the best in the league, 100%. When we were talking about this you know, thinking of topics to go over, and I brought this up. The first thing I thought of was that schedule announcement. Just Dawson Knox mukbanging chicken wings to start it off, kick it off. Puts the aviator goggles on. Who thinks of this? Isaiah McKenzie coming in, screaming while he pinches himself on a on a, a screen with a projector. Like, I, I I don't think there's an argument here for the best social media team in the NFL. Oh, you got to give credit to uh, the Miami Dolphins for pumping out <laughs> all their content, trying to. Hype up Tua. Yeah, just Noodle actually like cutting cutting the video mid air while the ball's in the air, so you can't see it land. I think they did a great job. The the you know mic'd up Bills when they play games is always a fun you know midweek drop during the season to kind of see uh, behind the scenes. The embedded series, I always recommend that to anyone that wants to see a little bit of their draft process. Obviously, it's interesting because they have they have a bunch of clips, and of course they picked Elam. But I always think watching the series as it's going along, it'd been interesting if they pick some like I don't know if they pick someone else to see what kind of clips they would have had of you know that process of possibly drafting them. No, this just goes back into. Uh... They're having fun out there. Like, all the players, they just get along so well. They're always having fun. Like, look at the softball game, how much fun they were having at that. So if they weren't as close-knit of a team as they were, uh, they wouldn't be as successful as they were, and they wouldn't be having all this great content. Well, also, I mean, this week they dropped, you know, them playing golf together, and you could see your buddy Tommy Sweeney having a good time with Josh Allen. Von Miller had a nice little chip-in. Um, yeah, it was spectacular, actually. That I was very impressed with Von Miller. Should have played for Josh in the match. I know. <laughs> Maybe caddied for him, give him, give him a couple pointers. But yeah. I think it shows that the Bills have targeted guys, and they've made an emphasis on good guys, guys that are going to help serve the community, the better the community. You know, we saw with the uh, you know, Tops Attack, all the help that they did and the support with the T-shirts and, and stuff like that. I think this Bills... Yeah, they're out there serving food for the community and I, all that. I yeah, think, what you need. I think this Bills organization have the right players in the mind of, yeah, they want, they're going to put the work in to be good on the field. Right, and, and that wasn't the, even just the Bills. That was the Bandits and Sabres as well. Yeah, the whole organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, all organizations. Sure, Pagula Sports and yeah, Entertainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it just shows that they have the right guys on the field and they have the guys off the field that are going to put the work in to be better on the field, but also help serve the community and have a good time with each other. And I think that's what you see, and I think that's why they're such a you know tight-knit group as Mike's been alluding to. I do have one more point to make about Porter that I you know, thinking about just ending, you know, Tyron Matthew, who just turned 30 in May, signed a three-year, $33 million contract with the Saints, $11 million per. I think that's a good, you know, contract that Porter may be looking for. Obviously, Porter just turned 31 in April, so I think that's right around where he might be looking for it as a contract extension. He's just making a shade under 10. Obviously, Marcus Williams set the bar pretty high as a safety market with a five-year $70 million contract, which is $14 million a year. But he's also just going to turn 26 this fall, so he's a little on the younger side. So yeah, I think when you look at the veteran older guys, I would say like guys in their 30s that are maybe just pushing the edge of their prime, I think maybe two years, $12 million gets it done. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to do it for our Bills topic for the day. We'll be right back with more of the Buffalonian podcast right after this. Here at the Buffalonian Podcast, we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the next level. If you are at all interested, feel free to DM us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and let us know. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to the Buffalonian Podcast. We're going to go right into our Sabres topic, starting off with some player grades for Cousins, Krebs, 
and the man himself, Hinestroza. Dom, I wanted you to kick us off with Cousins. What do you got for us? I got him as a B plus. I think it was an above average season for Cousins. Obviously, it was really important for him to transition from wing to center, and I think he did that very well. He, he had a very good like number three center year. Uh, had very good underlining metrics. Was one of the better fours on the team outside the top line of Tuck, Skinner, and uh, Thompson. And again. I think we've been repeating ourselves a little bit over and over, but he was great in transition. He's a very good transitional player, so I'm not really concerned that he had you know about a 38 point season with 79 games, so about a 40 point player. It's a lot. Of, it's a really good improvement from having just 13 points in 41 games last year. So I expect him to jump to that you know 50 to 55 point range next year. Uh, and you know he had a very good World Juniors. I mean, sorry, World Championships. Uh, so I I just think a, a breakout's coming. No, I, I completely agree. I also gave him a B. I think he showed a lot of development, and that's something a lot of these players didn't have to show for this team because we were so young. Uh, the future is bright. I know that's probably the cliche thing to say, but that jump he had from year one to year two is encouraging, and you got, you're got you more than likely going to see a jump from year two to year three. I think it's just going to be interesting if he gets a bridge deal, like three to four years, or if they try to lock him up long term and uh, kind of take a gamble on him. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I give him a B-plus solely based on his progression from the last season to this past season. Um, just, it's very promising for the future in the World Championships as well that we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's just very promising, and see, I, I'm very excited to see what he ends up doing this coming season. I think he's going to improve even more. Well, I think Cousins is one of those players that gets a little bit overhated. Uh, yeah, a little be- bit. Because... You know, 38 points, 70 guy in games, as I said, about 40-point pace. I think people expected more. But, again, this this is the same guy that just transitioned really to being a full-time center this year. Was playing on the wing last year and only had 13 points in 41 games. And he's only in his second NHL season. Yeah, and he's 20 years old. So, I think he gets a little bit overhated by the fan base because you saw Tage Thompson break out in a big way. And I think a lot of people expected Cousins to have that type of year being, you know, a 60, 70-point forward. I think that's a little bit of an unrealistic jump. I think he made strides uh, in the offensive zone. Still, ha- still needs to clean up a little bit defensively, but you know he's getting those tough matchups against the McDavid, McKinnons, and Matthews of the world. So I think he's going to be one of those two-way. You know, it's a nice two-way game. Very good zone entry, zone exit. So I think he made a big jump from this year. I just hope he makes another bigger jump next year, so people stop hating on him so much. Yeah. No, I got. I got you. Now, Mike, I want you to start us off with Krebs. What do, what do you got? Uh, I'm giving him a C. Honestly, I think I think he showed signs of potentially being a very good playmaker. I think he always looked for the pass first, which in some cases might have hurt him, but in other cases was very beneficial. Um, it's good to have an open-minded player like that who's not greedy. Uh, I think it's just going to take a lot of time to develop his game and <laughs> develop. Uh, I think playing in Rochester in the playoffs did help him. He, I don't know if he scored a goal. No, he didn't. He had 11, <laughs> 11 assists in 10 games. Oh, I mean. But, I mean, that just shows that, again, he's that playmaking, pass-first guy, and that could hold him back at the next level. I think he's got to take some shots and, you know, just see what happens. But, overall, I think it's encouraging that he could be a middle six forward for this team. Yeah, I think he's definitely an interesting player to grade in the aspect of, you know, he has that skill, that passing skill that not a lot of the Sabres on the team really have, and I don't think anyone... Now, not a lot of Sabres are elite passers, and he's definitely one of the few that are. So he definitely has that skill set. I think it's tough for him because he was traded midseason, uh, from, obviously from the Knights and the Eichel trade. And I think it's hard for him. You know, he played nine games the Knights and really struggled, no points in those games. And it's hard to maybe for him to adjust from being on a contender to then playing on a team that has absolutely no expectations. And, you know, with 48 games with the Sabres, you know, he had 22 points, uh, which is about a 38-point pace. So... <clears throat> he was solid. Um, again, he's one of those guys, and hopefully, could take a jump to being a full-time center like Cousins did, transition from wing to center. And he was very good in the AHL. You know, point of the game player. Obviously, had the 11 points in 10 games in the playoffs, but his underlying metrics were really bad. Actually, one of the worst on the team. So, um, hopefully, he could progress to being a, a solid NHL player. I don't think he needs to next year be a good or a great NHL player. Just be solid. Be what Cousins was this year. Just a solid. You know, even if you're just a third liner next year, that's all they need him to be. So I gave him a C because I think it's I think it's hard for it to completely bash him because he had to change cities from Vegas to Buffalo and for a young player and is you know just turning twenty. You know, that's a hard thing to do. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you on the C. It just it he did better in the AHL than he did in the NHL, and I think that's just based off of, like you said, moving in that trade in the midseason. He's a younger player. He's not Alex Tuck, who's had years in the league. Um, so it'll just be very interesting to see how he develops. I'm hoping, like you said, he takes a jump like Cousins did from that winger to the center. It would be very interesting to see, and that would be a, a great depth factor for the, the roster for sure. But I'm going to kick the next guy off here. My boy Vinny Hinnestroza. I do overhate on him for the theatrics mostly. He he's, is a he's, he's your like Sabres community cousins. You just overhate him. Exactly. Yeah. He's but I give him honestly. I I, I would give him a C, but I'm going to go with F just to stick with my guns. You know, <laughs> after after all these weeks, um, F F quote unquote C. Like that's what it really is. But it's just like we mentioned in previous podcasts episodes. I feel like it's almost. Is it time for him to move aside and let these younger players like Quinn and everybody move up and sort of make their name on the team in the NHL? I mean, I mean that's really that's all I have against him. I mean, I'm trying to make a case for myself, but I mean that's not, really not a very strong, not a yeah. very strong one. I don't yeah. know if that's holding up in a court of law there, but no, um, no, I, I I think he's also a C. I think he he's a pretty solid bottom six forward. I mean, he showed that he can put the puck in the net. Um, when he was healthy, I know he missed some time with injury. Um, I think he'd be a pretty good like 13th forward to have. So if there's you know injury problems or Quinn or Paterki, you know they're just not quite ready and they had to go back down, he can uh, step in and he would be serviceable. So just overall, he's a solid player. Like I'm not saying he's top six, middle six forward, anything. He's not stellar, but yeah, he's a yeah. bottom six. Knows his role. He's been around the league. He's played for a few teams, so he you know he has a few different. Uh, coaches that he's played for, and he kind of knows a few things. But overall, I you know give him a C. I give him a C plus. I think oh. he, I think he played his role very well. I, he's a he's a saber target that they've been looking for for years, which is just a solid bottom six forward to have. You know they never really have had been consistently able to find those guys. Uh, he had twenty five points in sixty two games, which is about a thirty three point pace. And I think what's important, you know, twenty four points, twenty four of his twenty five points are on five on five. So it wasn't like he was scoring a lot on the power play and especially with his ice time you know that's a pretty good rate for a bottom six forward as we said and he was just making just over a million bucks uh this yeah, he's not year. he's not very he's cheap yeah and i think if he wants to come back to you know be comfortable with the 13th row but possibly compete for a spot in that you know bottom six i think you should be all for it i think as you said he's played for multiple teams so i think it's a possibility that he just wants to find some stability you know, find a place to stay for a little bit. So he might be willing to sign for Buff to Buffalo for cheap because he has, you know, he's been familiar with the Sabers organization. And I, th- I just had to say this: it's not his fault he did not get traded. Okay, with the whole no. blocking Quinn and Paterka, it's not his fault. That was Kevin Adams. You know, she had just made the trade, but he didn't. That's okay. It's not, it's not Henry fault, but he <laughs> pl- he played his role very well. He was very effective. If he wants to come back, I don't think the Sabres should automatically say no, but they have to be honest with him about his role as maybe getting scratched some nights and maybe, you know, filling in here or there, but possibly also f- to compete for, you know, a starting spot in the starting 12 for the team. So C-plus C for me. I do just have one more thing to add about him, just for for old time's sake, throwing it all the way back to episode one. Thank you very much. You're welcome. On to some Sabres prospect <laughs> talk. Um, obviously, the Sabres had three first-round picks this year, 9, 16, and 28. So uh, tons of different directions uh, the Sabres can go in the draft. Obviously, we suggested that maybe they trade one of their picks for a player that can actually be on the roster this coming season. But we'll see. We'll just assume for now that they keep all three of those picks. So, Mike, I'll, I'll turn it to you. You can start us off talking about with what prospects they should target with the ninth overall selection? So, uh, there's there's a few different approaches I think had to go through Kevin Adams' mind here. You know, we have we have holes. I would say probably everywhere in the roster. So, what is the most important one? Would you rather have a center? Because right now your centers are Tage Thompson. You got Dylan Cousins hopefully play center. Peyton Krebs. Do you have enough confidence going into the future that those three can be the top three centers of your team? You know, you can target a Matthew Savoy or like a Connor Geeky or something to maybe 
be a top six center, and then you can move either Krebs or Cousins to the wing, and then, you know, maybe add someone in free agency or even further in the draft. Like, that's what has to go through his mind. I think you had to target center with that that top pick. Your pro center? Yes. Well, the past history of the ninth overall selection, this is a, this is a selection where you could get a guy. Like, you could get a legitimately a top six forward, a top four D-man. It's been seen over and over. You know, Bo Horvath is a top six center for the Canucks. Nikolai Ehlers is a top six forward winger for the Winnipeg Jets. Obviously, Trevor Zegras is a superstar now for the Anaheim Ducks. Marco Rossi was selected in 2020. He's one of the top prospects in all of NHL. Jacob Schubert is a a solid top four D-man for the Rangers. Obviously, he was drafted by the Winnipeg Jets in trade. So I think this is an important spot to nail for for the Sabres. Um, they've picked in the spot around the spot before. You know, Ristolainen, Dylan Cousins, Jack Quinn. So they've had some good results here, I would say. So I agree with you. I think center would probably be the premium choice just because it's such an important position. Obviously, Savoy, Nazar, uh, Frank Nazar is a very good choice as well. Connor Geeky, maybe Brad Lambert. Um, I think it matters too if they feel like they need to find more depth in the prospect pool defensively as well. Obviously, Wing seems like they're good there. Jack Quinn, Paterka, Kisikoff, Rosen. They have a lot of wing uh, prospects, but they might want to add another defenseman because obviously Power and Samuelson are you know going to be up with the big club. Ryan Johnson's kind of a question mark, so. You know, maybe a guy like uh, Simon Nimick, uh, who's a right-shot D-man. But he's kind of that top-five range, so he'd have to fall. But he's he would be perfect for them as well. So I, I think those are the kind of the players, center, or maybe they want to pick out a D-man they like at nine. A very premium pick that they really need to hit a home run on. Yeah, I mean, every every pick we have, it's like, yeah, we have a bunch of picks, but it's not like we could just waste them. You know, we need them because we're a team that's in that process of rebuilding and you know we're a few years away from these prospects really making an impact but they need to hit so like i know i'm just going to kind of combine 16 and 28 because i mean yeah there's kind of yeah they're kind of mid and late first round um i kind of like you know you you said nazer uh lambert uh they could target maybe like a kevin krachinski i think he's left shot though um ryan chesley i think he's a right shot defenseman so if you feel maybe he could be paired with either Darlene or Power uh, in the future. Um, the other Jack Hughes, not the New Jersey Devils Jack Hughes. There's another Jack Hughes in late first round. But uh, my wild card on who I think the Sabres should target. Oh, man. Who at one point was one of the top prospects. I might butcher his last name. I'm sorry. Ivan Mrushnichenko. Ivan. Is he a defenseman? Is he, it the, the he's defenseman? the winger. The Russian the winger. winger. The winger, though. He, you know, he got sick this year. And that made his draft stock go way down. But at one point, he was one of the top prospects out there. And if he were to fall to the late first round, I don't see why the Sabres don't take a shot at him. Because when healthy, he I think he came back to play. So when he's healthy, he's a game-changing player. And he's a Russian. And I know we've talked about it on previous uh, podcasts, and we're going to go more into it today. Uh, getting into that Russian pool of players, it's like, all these teams are able to nab Russians mid-round, like Kutrov, Vasilevsky, you know, Panarin was undrafted. They're able to bring these Russians in, and they make a, a good impact right away. So Kaprizov. Yeah, Kaprizov. <laughs> so, I mean, like, maybe why not take a chance with that last first-round pick to get a player who was, at one point, one of the, one of the best prospects? Absolutely. I, I think with, you know, with all three first-round picks, I think it's important for the Sabres and, and any really team, really, to draft their guy. I think yeah, find the one that fits the best, and also will shape your team for the future. True, I don't. Guy. I don't think they're going to draft specifically. I mean, I think they should draft need base with their first pick of just. I think center's a premium position because mm-hmm. I mean, you see your cousins. If it's a center and he doesn't work out center, you could always move him to wing. So of drafting a winger who might not be able to transition to center. So I think more versatility. Obviously, the defense prospects pool leaves something to be desired with Power and Samuelson. Graduating, as I've alluded to, but we just need that right shot because we have Yoki Haru, and then I think maybe they're going to bring I, back Pizik, I think know? they're going to get a veteran. I just like they target Subban, something like that. I, th- I just think they're going to look. If we bring in PK Subban, do we resign Malcolm Subban? Yeah, to be the AHL goaltender, I would assume so. <laughs> but I think what's important is you know in the Kevin Adams era, he's picked his guys. Mm-hmm. You know, Jack won at eight, right? It was eighth overall. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, everyone was saying pick Marco Rossi, or I mean, I was even picking Anton Lundell. Anton Lundell. Was I was pretty, the big Perfetti guy. Pretty cool, Perfetti. We picked Jack Quinn, and everyone's like, well, Jack Quinn just was good because of Marco Rossi. They were on the same team in juniors, and Jack Quinn's proven that wrong. He really broke out this year, and he's a very good player. And even if Owen Power first overall, a lot of people were thinking maybe they should just pick a forward and be safe. Owen Power is kind of boomer bust a little bit. And so far, I mean, we're eight games in, so it's kind of hard to... Yeah, it's like putting him on that checklist. Yeah. Last week. How, how do you even do it's that? It's kind of a little hard, but from what we could see so far, his numbers were great, and he had a really good you know year at Michigan as well. So I think Adams has not always listened to the expert picks. I think he's been one of those guys that... Like, that picks the guy he wants, not like what the consensus board will say. So maybe, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they pick someone kind of off the board like Rosen from last year. They might pick someone that, you know, maybe the experts aren't high on, but they're high on. Yeah, I think you got to give him credit because there's not like one league where he always drafts from. Like, it seemed like years prior, all we were drafting were like Canadians. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how'd that work out for us? Kevin, well, Ad- Kevin well, Adams is kind of dipped in each pool. Like, you know, he goes to the CHL. He got Owen Power from college. He got Isaac Rosen from Sweden. Like, he's not afraid to go in multiple leagues. from Russia. Yeah, Russia, too. So, like, he's not afraid to go around the world and um, get these players. Like, you know, we completely revamped our scouting department for a reason. So we can, you know, still focus on Canada, but that's not just, that's not the only place we want our players to come from. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta find talent around the world when you can. and Deep into Russia. Yeah, they've done, they done a very good job. And, again, I, I expect them to do a solid job this draft. It just matters... Matters at this point when we're talking about prospect talk, uh, will they have three first round picks? Will they have two first round picks? Will they have one first round pick? Hell, maybe they maybe they trade all three. Who knows? But for right now, they have three. If I they traded all this? three, I think the city would burn down. Is this yeah. NHL yeah. franchise mode? Yeah, listen, easy. Listen, we could trade nine, sixteen, and twenty-eight for McDavid just straight up. Okay. 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 Yeah, Edmonton's yeah. getting rid of McDavid. The trade value yeah. may be a little off. But, Connor McSavier. But again, <laughs> I think it's interesting to talk about prospect talk. Obviously, the draft is coming up in the next under a month now, so uh, we shall see what happens, but always an exciting talk. We'll talk more a little bit about prospects in the upcoming pods as we start to listen to more information, hear more information about who they may be targeting uh, specifically, but let's talk into some actual news. We had a trade this week. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, ben Bishop, congratulations. Your contract was acquired for, well, we took on a seventh round pick for uh, trading the Dallas Stars future considerations, so... So that's been our best asset the past year. Future future considerations. considerations. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. insane. They got what? Will Butcher for future considerations and a fifth <laughs> round pick. They got Malcolm Johnny Boy Johnny Boychuk's contract for future considerations. So a lot of green fees maybe paid off by Kevin Adams for those yeah. players. But I think it's an interesting move. I think a lot of people were originally upset that it was only a seventh round pick. Yeah. Um and yes, you're doing the stars a favor by taking him off their books right now. But I think it's. Important. I don't know if I'm fretting about the seventh round pick though. We have three first round picks. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't even matter about the asset. It matters of the Sabers actually did need his cap hit. Yeah, they, we had we had more cap space than we did salaries. So yeah, we need to hit the floor. He's a shade under five million dollars, and I think they need to spend before this trade twenty million to the floor. So that's a lot of money to spend. And the problem is, is it's awesome that you have Krebs, Cousins. Obviously, you're going to have to factor in Patrick and Quinn. Even Thompson's Power, at a low cap right now. Low cap. All those guys are making under a million bucks. So when, like, half your roster has got... Skinner. Well, that's why, honestly, <laughs> Skinner's contract, while it's not very good long-term, is actually incredibly important this year because he's making $9 million and you have to get to the cap floor. The same thing same with, with the Postal's post- contract. Yeah. His Postal's not good, but actually his his contract is actually incredibly valuable to the Sabres this year because, again, they need to get to the cap floor. That's why they went for this move for Bishop. So, yes, they helped the Stars to get a seventh-round pick, but they also helped some get to the cap floor. So now they have about $15 million to reach it. And it gets interesting because they have RFAs like Olofsson and Bryson, and they had to sign some goalies. You know, They don't have any goalies signed, so they had to figure that out. Also, with Quinn and Paterka, you know, those guys make like 894000 so that's really only $1.7 million added. So, it gets it gets interesting. They still have plenty of cap space to, you know, make a move, obviously, at $35 million. But make they a have, splash. They also need to make a, maybe a splash or two to get to the cap floor. So, I think, again, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Obviously, I think this is intri- intriguing to see the rumor today that they might be moving off of Victor Olofsson, so... Michael, I'll let you talk about that. I mean, I, I know we talked about this when it was the trade deadline, how we kind of wouldn't be upset if he got moved. Um, 
I do like Victor Olsson as a player, in one sense. I think he's not well-rounded enough to be a top-six forward that gets paid like that. I think his only aspect is goal scoring, and he's not like an Ovechkin that'll score you 40 goals a year. And he goes cold. Yeah, and he went, what, 35 games without getting a goal? Mm-hmm. So, you know, is that really worth the probably 4 to $6 million you're going to have to spend on him? Um, I think there is still value to him, to a contender, where, you know, he's not going to be liable for defense all that much, and he's only going to be really there to score. I feel like a team with the Sabres, you're going to need more well-rounded players right now just to kind of boost the team. So, you know, I saw uh, Puck Empire. They showed their um, offseason, like their ideal offseason for the Sabres. And Olsen was a part of a Kevin Fiala trade. Now, Olsen's RFA. Kevin Fiala's also an RFA. So if you make that deal, Fiala's going to get more money than Olsen. So that would add to our cap, plus be a long-term solution. Because I do believe Fiala is better than Olsen. Yeah, I think I think it, I think there's two points there. One, I think Olafson wants a long-term deal. He's an arbitration free agent. He's one year away from unrestricted free agency, and he is an older player. He's going to turn 27 this summer, so I think he's looking for a long-term extension, maybe five years, five million dollars. I don't think the Sabers really want to give him that contract. So I think that's one reason why he might be off the board. I mean, I actually have three reasons. Because the second reason is just because of his play style. I don't think he's a part of the core. I think he's a good player. I think he's a secondary player, but he's not part of like the core, like Darlene, Power, Cousins. He's he's outside the core, so that makes him expendable. He also has good trade value. He probably has the best trade value of the assets they're willing to move from the roster. Um, and my my big reason is is this makes so much more sense why they made the Ben Bishop move is because they're not counting his RFA money. They're probably going to try and move him for a Ken Fiala, and Ken Fiala is probably going to make you know, just hypothetically like seven million dollars. So you add the $7 million, but you had to take away Olafson's projected probably $5 million you might have thought you were going to have to tri- sign him. And that's where the Ben Bishop trade comes in. That's the $5 million, so now you're closer to the cap floor. So I think, honestly, I think these moves are kind of, the Ben Bishop move is kind of connected to their interest in trading Olafson, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, for one, we can't afford to have another number change with Victor Olafson. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, um, if we do move Olafson, I think we had to move him for an actual player. I think it's it's come to the time where we need to start getting roster players. Like we can have as many picks as we want, but we need to start turning the corner now. And if you just add more picks, like that's another you know two to three years before they're uh, making contributions to this roster. So I think a Kevin Fiala trade would be perfect. And then I know other assets in that trade were Casey Middlestat and our second round pick we got from Vegas. So I mean, again, Casey Middlestat, I'm not, I'm not worried about uh, him being gone. Like I th- coming in when we drafted him, I really liked him. I thought he looked very good at World Juniors uh, with Team USA. Just can't stay I, healthy. I think he his <laughs> development got botched a little bit. He probably should have gone back to college for another year um, instead of coming to the NHL. But overall, like I think those players are expendable and worth getting a Kevin Fiala. Yeah, he's expendable. I think he's, again, I don't think a trade is going to be there trading him for future assets. I think the trade for Olsen has to be him a part of a package for a better player. Yeah. A top six four like Fiala, um, maybe a you know top four right shot D-man, maybe a goaltender. But again, I don't think it's the future. I think it's for now. He's got to be a player that's moved in a package to help impact the team now. Talking about, I'm going to quickly segue into our, uh, previous topic we had last pod, Lawrence Pilot coming. You know, maybe he makes a contribution um, back to the roster, competing for Jacob Bryson for the third pair of D-men. But I think the topic of Pilot is intriguing, not on the ice, but off the ice, of making sure your European free agents feel comfortable, everyone feels comfortable in the locker room. So I'll let you take it away, Mike. No, like, you're talking about feeling comfortable. Like, I just go back to when we had Victor Antipin here. You know, he only played one year, and... It was just, it was a wreck because I don't think his abilities were all that bad. It was just, there were no other Russians in the room and he just couldn't fit in. Like, I don't think he truly understood anything. I mean, look at uh, Carolina this year when Kochekov comes in. Uh, man could barely speak English. He had an issue with his equipment. They had Andrei Svechnikov translating for him. So now, like, in that case... It helps out to have multiple Russians. You look at Washington, how they have Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Samsonov, uh, Orlov, all of them. And I think if you, you have one Russian, you need multiple, just because their culture is so different 
from American culture to where they need each other to fit in. You know, you look in the past, you see Artemi Panarin comes over from Russia, instant impact. Kro Kaprizov, instant impact. Go way, way back with the Sabres. Look at Mogilny, who is probably one of the best players to not be in the Hall of Fame. I think the Sabres just need to go into that pool, get those players, because they're, they are professional hockey players playing over there. You could argue the KHL is the second best league in the world mm-hmm. um, overall. So why not take advantage of having those guys wanting to come over here? Why not sign them? I think it's an important conversation to have because obviously now last year they're starting to draft Russians again for the first time in over a decade. And it's important. Obviously it's a little weird with the war going on, what's going to happen with all those Russian players. But I, I think a checklist has to be, you know, we talk about, oh, maybe they want a top six center. Maybe they want a better goaltender. Maybe they want a top four D-man. I think underrated is they had to find some Russians that can play in both the AHL and NHL level. Because obviously... You know, Kisikov's coming over to play in Rochester. I think you got to have one or two Russians down the AHL level that can play with him so he can have a better experience off the ice so he can perform on the ice. It's the same thing uh, with, hopefully, at the NHL level. They add a you know, Russian. That's why uh, Varlamov, the Islanders goaltender, is a popular maybe mock trade for the Sabres because he's Russian. If he comes, he's a good goaltender first off. But, you know, now he's Russian. Now you have a Russian in the room to translate, as you said, with Svechikov. So... I think it's an underrated discussion to have. It kind of comes into sometimes you have to sacrifice your on-ice product to make sure it, you know your certain players are performing on the ice, but maybe you got to sacrifice a little bit so you have the right culture, the right locker room in, in, in place to have these players play at their highest level. Yeah, I think you just have to give them the shot too because it seems like recently when we signed these players, they don't really get that full-time play. Like Pilot was up and down. And that's why he left. Uh, Rutsalainen was frustrated when he got sent down. And he was never given more than... He played, I think, 30-something games in his career so far. Uh, and Tipin only got one year before he, he jettisoned away. So, like, y- these guys... They're jettisoned. In the, yeah, <laughs> dipping, yeah, dipping in the vocab there. Um, I, you know, these guys... It seems like to me that they're on short leashes and they're not competing for those top six spots, top four D. They're, they're more or less like being brought in to be filler players and like those extra players and I think that in some cases that's not good I think they have to be given that shot a and fair then, shake exactly and then they turn into those filler players and extra players absolutely again I think it's an important discussion that we wanted to quickly discuss because I think we kind of glossed over it a little bit last probably we wanted to hit it again pretty hard and I think it again it's an important conversation to have that you know culture over on ice product and it's important to make sure everyone feels comfortable in the room so you can again maximize your on ice ability so I, th- I think the only other the other pool the Sabres need to dip into a little bit more is the uh, college free agent route mm-hmm. I think that's a little bit underrated too because you see some some pretty good players get signed out of that I mean last time we signed someone was what Brandon Byro yeah it was an E-Rot Evan, Evan Rodriguez was one and He's you a know. pretty solid player. Eh, meh. He's he's all right, but he, he was meh with the Sabers. He was meh with the Sabers. He's all right with the Penguins. But again, I I agree with your college friends, and I agree like we had to you know make a good culture in place. So again, a lot of Sabers talk again this pod, and we're gonna come back with you with some uh, Toronto Blue Jays talk for the first time. This is the Buffalonian podcast. Here at the Buffalonian podcast, we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the next level. If you are at all interested, feel free to DM us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and let us know. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to the Buffalonian Podcast. And right now, maybe we'll t- change it to like the Torontonian Podcast. Is oh, that what they're never, called? Never, oh never, never say that again. We're going to talk about some Blue Jays I just got to say right now, that was completely unscripted and I'm completely cringing at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> I don't that, know was, what that wasn't even what in the called. outline. That was... I don't know what they're called. but I think they are Torontonians. I think that's what they're called. I, either way... Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some Blue Jays talk. I know I'll be honest with all the people listening out there. I don't know much about the Blue Jays, and I'm gonna second. Not that. a Blue Jays fan, but they do have correlation to Buffalo. They did play here for two months, and we need content until football. Season I give them starts. credit for the Bisons. <laughs> yeah, with the with the Bandit season ending next week, the Amherst season ending, and the was, Bills just in camp. There's the, not much going on. There's right not now. a lot going on, but the Jays are going to replace the Bandits in the rundown with the with the Bisons. So we're going to have a double baseball feature for the rundown here and out. But again, it's an exciting opportunity to talk about the Blue Jays. Obviously, 
you know, we, we're at the Buffalo Union podcast, so it's kind of, we were talking about Toronto sport, but as, as Rochester was, Rochester is obviously the farm team of the Sabres. It's a little different, it's a little reverse this time. We're talking about, you know, the Bison's farm team, but now the Blue Jays are the big club, so there's a relation to Buffalo. So it's interesting. We want to talk a little bit about Major League Baseball. You know, people are interested in that in the Buffalo area, so we hope to, you know, Yeah, we, we had our shot at a Major League team back in the 90s, but... Uh, they, they Still decided, been lingering. They decided to go uh, elsewhere, a different route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they you know they they wanted to add a upper deck to Salem's Field, so it's one of the nicer uh, stadiums. Triple A ballparks. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So I think it, I think the Jays are an interesting team to discuss because they're one of the best teams in baseball. Uh, they won ninety one games last year, missed the playoffs by a game over the Yankees, uh, and through sixty games they're thirty six and twenty four, uh, and they're absolutely dominating that a very hot stretch. Uh, I do have one question for you. Do you think baseball should change their playoff format? They did. It is now, they did? It is now a 16 playoff format. Okay. Well, is, that is, just is, everybody, that just shows how in tune I am with baseball. <laughs> it is now three play, It's the three divisions winners, and then there's three wildcard teams. I believe all three AL wildcard teams at this moment are in the AL East. So four teams from the AL East are currently in the playoffs. It tells you how loaded the... You know the Blue Jays division is that they're 36 and 24, and the Yankees are 44 and 16. I want to believe so they're eight games back of the Yankees. But Plus, you know the Rays are in that division too. Yeah, currently the Blue Jays are second in the division, and it's remarkable because if I believe if the season ended right now, they would go on the road to play the Minnesota Twins, who are leading the AL Central, and the Minnesota Twins' record is 35 and 27. So. The Blue Jays have a better record than the AL Central leading Minnesota Twins. And I think they're very close to the Houston Astros who are leading the AL West. So the Blue Jays get a little bit screwed over that they're in the Yankees division this year. But, again, they have one of the best lineups in baseball. George Springer, Tasker Hernandez, Bo Bichette, obviously Vladdy, uh, one of the best players overall in baseball. Obviously they just called up our buddy Gabe Mourinho, uh, the number four overall prospect in all of baseball, collected his first big lead hit over the weekend. In front of his idol, Miguel Cabrera. Obviously, he's from Venezuela, so you looked up to him. And uh, Miggy's a great player and probably a Hall of Famer, so that was pretty cool to see. And it's actually an interesting conversation with the Jays. They're one the probably this is the only team in baseball that has this one problem. They have too many good catchers. It's <laughs> really remarkable. What a, what a problem to have. They have too many good catchers. Obviously, Mourinho is a top five prospect in all of baseball. Alexandro Kurt is betting 315 and is playing like a beast. And Danny Jensen, while he's injured now, is also a very good catcher. So what do you what do you see them doing? Do you think they should trade one of the catchers? They're going to trade. Who one. do they need to bring in? I think they're going to trade one of their catchers for probably some bullpen help because their bullpen's not great. Yeah, I would assume probably Jensen because Kirk is playing at maybe an all star level. They're not going to trade Marino. He's a top five prospect and he's the future at the position. But Jensen's probably the one that maybe is sendable. But who knows? Maybe they'll keep him. Uh, but they they have a very good team. I actually. What's so great about the Jays is that I would say they've won the best lineups in baseball, but they have uh, a young pitcher named Alex Manihook. I'm probably butchering his last name. I apologize, but he's the probably the AL Cy Young leader at this moment in time. He leads all Major League Baseball with eight wins, and he leads the AL with a 1.67 ERA. So he's been one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Kevin Gosman's also a very good pitcher. Jose Barrios is one of their... They traded a bunch for him, and they hope for him to kind of turn around. And Hinjin Ryu has been banged up and hasn't played, hasn't you know, only six starts at the moment, and he got back on the IL. So hopefully they can get him back, maybe later in the season, and return back to form. But that could be a nice, you know, forehead monster going into the playoffs. Yeah, um, I guess optimistic for them. I mean, it, it is kind of hard for me to root and support a team yeah, that's that I, from Toronto. I don't yeah. like, you know, I I despise the Maple Leafs. Yeah. You know. Uh, Raptors, I now don't like the Raptors. Don't like how there's that rumored uh, relocation for the Bills to Toronto. No, I have Jovi. I have a jersey. Uh, what's his name? C.J. Spiller's jersey that has the Toronto series patch on it. I look at that patch in absolute disgust. I, I if they played in Toronto, I would no longer be a supporter. It, it, that's just not that's not a bandwagon comment. That's just I hate Toronto. I think okay, I think the coolest thing though about the Blue Jays right now is that they had they have Vlad Jr. who threw four hundred games has like the exact same stats as his dad. You know, eighty seven home runs and uh three six three on base percentage. Like that's it, just that's kinda weird. It it is just a very strange coincidence, I'll yeah. say that. But 
So for the Jays, obviously they're going to be a rundown team next week. So we're just gonna, I'm going to quickly break down their schedule that we're going to talk about next week in the rundown. They started a four-game set at home against the Orioles, where they won game Nashville one. Nashville Orioles, right? Baltimore. Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> Tough look there. Yeah. Baltimore nope. Orioles. You don't, nope. there's the jo- you don't know what the CEO, he's getting sued by his brother. No, he is getting sued by his brother. Wow, I didn't know okay. That. I didn't know that. Wow, the one baseball fact he does know. Yeah, and I get roasted for it. <laughs> but they beat him 11-1 to uh, Monday, and they out-hit them 19-5, to so Orioles aren't that good. They're going to end that four-game set Thursday, and the big set starts Friday on the weekend. The New York Yankees come to Toronto, the first-place Yankees, the I best know, team in baseball. So it's an interesting chance for maybe the Blue Jays to get some games back in the division lead for the Yankees, but again... I think it's a very interesting thing to talk about MLB. Uh, obviously, it's fun that the Jays are actually good and relevant, so we're not talking about like the Nashville Orioles. So, uh, again, we hope you enjoy uh, us adding the Blue Jays to the rundown next week. And uh, now, coming shortly after this, the actual rundown for this week. Here at the Buffalonian Podcast, we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the next level. If you are at all interested, feel free to DM us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and let us know. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. The Buffalonian Podcast. It's rundown time. And uh, I pulled the short straw and have to go through it today. So here we go. So we're going to start with some Bandits news. So they could have wrapped up the series last weekend in Colorado. They ended up falling short, losing 11-8. to So a little bit unfortunate that they weren't able to bring the championship back to Buffalo. But they have another shot this Saturday at 8 o'clock. So I encourage you to go. You know, it's been, I haven't been there yet, but I hear it's electric. Uh, after the 11-8 loss, they're actually leading 6-4 to four in halftime. And all six goals, you know, they were scored in the second quarter. Rest of the game, they only scored two goals. So it was a lackluster offense led by Josh Byrne, who had two of those goals and four points overall. Matt Vince, he was he was average during the game. He had his moments where he looked good. He's been good throughout the entire playoffs. They were undefeated in the playoffs leading up to this game. So, you know, we hope to see a bounce back for him and a bounce back overall for the team, especially when Colorado scores five unanswered goals to end the game. So they kind of rallied there. Uh, we're hoping to close out the championship for the first time since 2008. It'd be nice to have a championship team back in Buffalo. Uh, it's not one of those major sports, but still gets our our blood flowing, maybe the next championship will be a Super Bowl. And then, you know, as Joe's always said, Stanley Cup's coming next June. Yeah, baby. We'll, we'll transition to the Bisons talk. They they didn't play all that great this weekend. They went 2-4 and four in their series. But the team that is ahead of them in the standings, Rochester, went 0-6. So Bisons actually make up two games and only a game and a half back of Rochester. But the Bisons are struggling themselves. Three and seven in their last ten, and they're thirty-three and twenty-six overall. So, what do they need to do? Well, the first three games of the series they dropped, but then they won the next two. So it shows signs of improvement. Give Casey Lawrence credit. He had that ace performance of seven innings. He only had one unearned run and had five strikeouts for his IL leading one seven seven ERA, and was one of two pitchers in the AAA and MLB to have eight wins. That goes with Manoa. So the Bisons almost had a full house with over 15,000 fans. Obviously, it was for Star Wars night, the best night the ballpark presents. And there's a lot to look forward to now with the Bisons as they go forward. We'll be right back after this with some trivia. Here at the Buffalonian Podcast, we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the next level. If you are at all interested, feel free to DM us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and let us know. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the rest of the show. It's that time of the episode. It's trivia time. What are we, what are we thinking right now, guys? I gotta redeem myself after last week. Conven- confidence has been restored after last week, so. That's good. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting time. Let's just keep going. Let's get right. into it. So, I'm ready. Buffalo Bills, trivia question. Who are the three players that have their numbers retired? Bruce Smith, Jim Kelly, O.J. Simpson. Yeah. No, not OJ. Thurman? It is Thurman. 34. If you do remember, remember Sonoris Perry wore number 32 for the Bills. Ah, you're right. He was the first player to wear it since OJ. Honestly, it's probably a good thing they didn't retire OJ's number. Yeah, the glove. That would be a tough moment. He he is in the Bills Hall of Fame. His number was in uh, reduced circulation, but it was never retired. 
No. Espe- yeah, on the Bills, I don't remember many other people. It also goes with, uh, you know, Andre Reed's 83. was also in uh, less circulation unless uh, Lee Evans was able to wear it. Steve Tasker, isn't he, wasn't he He 80? was 89. 89. Um, for Sweeney. a long time, 31. <laughs> no one wore 31. Yeah. And uh, DeMar Hamlin wears it now. But, uh, no, it's, it's kind of interesting because there's so many guys on a football roster, you know. It's kind of hard, I think, to retire numbers like in hockey. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, it's different from hockey yeah. or basketball. Yeah. Than, that's why these are numbers. Our first ever debate. That's why yeah. the single numbers yeah. are happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. I, I didn't think of that. Okay. Yeah, uh, we'll go into question two. So, the Sabers, we all know, they had an era where they were black and red. The goat heads, what we like to call them. How long was that era? Six years. No. Eleven. Ooh, that's close. No. Twelve. No. Ten. Yes. Oh. 1996 to 2006. And the only oh, player, the thought... only player to be exclusively in the Goathead era. Bonus question: 1996-06. R- no. Rob Ray? No, Michael no. Pecca. No. Michael Jay Pecca. McKee. Oh. Uh, 1996 to 2006, exclusively in the Goathead era. See, I thought it was 2006. That's why Rob I said Ray six. was. No, he's a 89 three or Yeah, Rob Ray was pre-Goathead. Pecca was no Pecca. Was Pecca was he was, but he wasn't uh, the, the entire. Time. Yeah. Jay McKee, all ten years of his Sabres tenure I, I in the Goathead. For every reason, I thought it was 96 to 07, but I remember I remember it as you were saying that 07, that 07 year of Drury, the last year of Drury, they were in the slugs. Yeah. So Probably. one of my favorite players the right slugs. there, Jay McKee. <laughs> Shout out to him. Unfortunate how his Sabres career ended with that injury. Staff infection. Yeah, so. Yeesh. We'll go to the, the final question. It'll be our uh, Torontonian question here. Oh, the Blue Jays. When was their first season in the MLB? 19... 1980. No. 78. No. Very close. 77. Yes. 1977 expansion with the Seattle Mariners. They attempted to get the San Francisco Giants to relocate. Didn't work out. Instead, they got their expansion team. Look at that. Wow. Expansion's working out for everyone. And that's what you like to see. Yeah, now we're going to get Baltimore <laughs> to Nashville, apparently. Yep. But before we sign off, we just I wanted to do a little bit of a, a rundown on our future future endeavors a little bit. Starting when news in football season start to pick up a little more, we're going to be ending Season 1 and moving into Season 2, which will be simulcast, hopefully. Right now, it's looking like we're going to be videoing and releasing an audio file as well and uh, we will also be adding another podcast of ours the pick'em buffalonian pick'em podcast we will we'll be picking nfl games and maybe maybe we'll toss in some others depending on how how high stakes they are but we'll be uh we'll be trying some new things and uh, we hope you guys listen and we thank you for listening today and dom how do you how do you always end these go bills baby go bills go bills